Okay, I think we're ready to go here. So uh, I don't know if anybody bothers to, or if anybody is uh, listening to these as a podcast, you know, because I put them up there. But last week's got deleted, so yeah, it was a bummer. I really feel bad about that, but it is technology sometimes is uh, mean, it teases you. So last week we talked about. Um, so the last two weeks, the so first two weeks ago, we talked about uh, morality and what what the issue of what what was morality. What is what do we mean by morals? Where did morals come from? And uh, if we have objective morals, we have to have an objective moral giver. Um, society doesn't make up its morals. Uh, there's no way for that because then a society in the United States could have a set of morals, and a society in uh, um, in the Amazon would have a different set of morals and they would be equally as valuable, but we know that that's not the case. Um, and so we then last week we talked about evil and with the whole issue of evil. Anybody had any, remember what we talked about as far as evil? What is, where's, what is evil? Remember the little simple definition we gave about evil? Actually, uh, um, C.S. Lewis had a really good definition of it. Let me see if I can track him down in my notes here because my print is pretty bad to read. It's the absence of good. Absolutely, that's that's one good way of uh, Saint Thomas defined it as the absence of good. Um, and uh, so God is good, and we know that He is good. Then then uh, we have the absence of good when He. So basically, the absence of God. Um, why can't I find my note here? Uh, here we go. C.S. Lewis said uh, that, Lewis, uh, that evil is, the, is basically the problem of pain. He gave, he gave this definition. He says, an experience of pain is, is basically an irreducible conscious feeling or an experience that hurts. That would be how he defined evil. And we're going to kind of start with that, uh, that definition tonight, because we're going to look at suffering. Because evil and suffering go hand in hand. If, you're, if, if something is evil, then you're going to end up suffering um and uh uh so there's an equal challenge to suffering or evil that that they're suffering okay so just remember these pictures that we looked at and i think everybody remembers that all right 911 okay what was this one no not quite not quite what the tsunami in sri lanka that is water yeah yeah, uh, the earthquake in Haiti, okay, and then uh, just crime in general, evil. Okay, so we talked about evil, and these things are evil, right? They're 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 the things that happen. They, these are, but here's the thing between the difference between evil and suffering. This is these are acts of evil, especially if they're perpetrated by a human being, like the 9/11 attack or just crime in general. Those are those are evil acts, right? Those those are the act of evil. Um, what we want to talk about today, though, is the result of the act. That's the suffering part. So there's the act of evil. How could somebody? How can? How can evil 
exist and God exists, which we talked about last week, right? There was that challenge of evil. If evil exists, then how can there be a God? You know, if God is so strong, why can't he eliminate evil? And so, so this is one of the biggest attacks or the strongest attacks that an atheist would have against God is that if evil is present, there cannot be a God because God is all good. He's all loving. How could he allow evil to exist, right? Okay, well, so that's the act of. So, you know, you pull the wings off of a butterfly, that's pretty evil in some people's minds. I don't know. Uh, but, you know, think about the butterfly. Right? So the butterfly is suffering with his wings ripped off. All right, so the suffering part is what we're going to talk about tonight. So suffering is the, op- is the impact of evil. And so as C.S. Lewis, as we, as we said, his definition, um, uh, as, is the, pun- the, 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 his definition of evil was the problem of pain, and where an experience of pain is irreducible uh, to, the, to the point where that's just what hurts, right? Something that hurts, whether it's physical hurt or emotional hurt or, or spiritual hurt. There's this something you have been hurt by some experience, and it causes pain. Well, the experience is the source of the pain, and the pain itself is the suffering. All right, so, so C.S. Lewis's definition kind of fits both, because you got two sides to it. You got the act of evil. Somebody committed an evil act upon you, and you suffered for it. Okay, does that make sense? That's suffering. Um, so um, that's kind of so the, the experience of pain is evil. And the hurt of pain, of evil, or the experience is the suffering. That's where those two things come from. Um, so, so evil, so evil in is uh, and suffering. They form a unique relationship. They're they're like a, they go together. You can't have suffering without evil, at least in perception, anyway. And there's, there can't be an evil act perpetrated on something without somebody suffering for it. Right? This is why we have. This is why we have our court system. We have a court system to set right the evil that was done and the suffering that was inflicted. And so, if somebody commits a a murder, then the family wants vengeance in some way. Right? They want they want to be right. They want their suffering to be uh, uh, alleviated. And you know, sometimes just by the death penalty. Sometimes it's just by the guy going to jail for the rest of his life. Uh, but if it were not for suffering, there would be, or if it were not for evil, there would be no suffering. And so suffering is a direct result of that evil. So Peter, if you look over in First, first uh, Peter chapter 3 and verse 17, this is an odd thing for, for God to say to you. And I don't know if you ever thought about it, just how odd it is that he says this to you, but in First Peter chapter 3, verse, verse 17, I left my glasses back there on the table. Yes, we would, please. Uh, God says, for it is better, if the will of God be so, that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. Thank you very much. Now, think about it. God says it's better for you to suffer for, e- for well-doing than for evil-doing. Uh, so that means sometimes suffering, suffering wrong that was, you know, you didn't deserve. Okay, so God says it's okay. That's just, I just, I, every time I read that verse, I think, Wow, God says it's okay for me to suffer. Doesn't that kind of go against what most people think or teach about Christianity? That Christianity is supposed to be this lovey-dovey, feel-good, you know, everybody sing around, sit around the campfire and sing songs, make it feel, you know. That's not, the, that's not Christianity. In, rea- in reality, that's not Christianity. Christianity does allow for suffering. Christianity 
intends for suffering. Jesus Christ Himself said that uh, uh, you're going to suffer because of Him. They hate you because they hated Him. And the, and the, the acts of, of, of harm that come to you because you're a Christian are going to come because they hated Jesus Christ. God says, you know what? It's okay to suffer. It's okay to suffer, especially if it has anything to do with God, His kingdom, and His Son. All right, so that's, so I don't know. For me, I'm okay with that. I hope you're okay with that. But sometimes you have to suffer. Uh, you know, for, for, let me give you a really good example. Maybe I hope at your age you don't have this happen to you anymore, but when you were little, you probably got spanked. That was uh, suffering, wasn't it? I mean, that was for me. I don't know about you guys. But when I, when I got spanked, it was for, for well-doing, right? They spanked me so I would do well from now on. There was a, there was a valid reason for that. So God says it's okay to inflict sometime, sometime, some kind of um, chastisement to correct bad behavior. But that's not what we're dealing with here necessarily. We're not dealing with that kind of thing. We are actually dealing with the issue of suffering and it didn't belong to you or shouldn't have come to you. Um, okay, so what we want to talk about, yeah. Do they have to be physical? No, it could be emotional. It could be emotional. It could be spiritual suffering as well. You know, I mean, it's just anything that inflicts some sort of pain on us, you know, some act of evil that inflicts a, some sort of a pain on you, definitely uh, doesn't always have to be physical. Um, okay, so when we read that verse, uh, he, 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 we should not, basically, we should not be the reason that we suffer. That's what he's actually saying there. We should not be the ones that caused or that brought it on ourselves. Like, you know, um, if you uh, get into an argument and start calling people names and they hit you in the face, well, you know, you probably deserved it. Okay, so so that that what we're talking about. We're talking about suffering uh, that is directly from evil here. Uh, not from our behavior, but, the behavior, but something that comes from some sort of act of evil. So there's a twofold weight. Uh, on every single person that leads to a challenge. This challenge is about the reality of God. This, you know, the issue of suffering. Evil, which we talked about last week, and then, and then suffering. So, um, basically what these arguments are saying is that God does not exist. So an atheist or somebody who is, who really doesn't believe in God or doesn't want to believe in God will say, if God is so strong, why is there suffering? If God is so loving, why is there evil? And so on. So we have a problem that we have to address. We have to understand that the same issue with evil and suffering, they go hand in hand. We have, to, we have to be able to explain why is there suffering in the world if there is, in fact, a God in the world at the same time. So their argument would be like this. So the question would be, how do you reconcile the existence of suffering with the existence of an all-loving, all-knowing God? Why does God let you suffer? That's what we're going to try to find out. Um, if, here's, the, here's the argument that actually would be against you. These are what goes in your blanks. If God is all-powerful, he could do something to prevent or to end suffering, right? Would you agree with that? God, if God is all-powerful, he could do that. If God is all-loving, he would want to pre- prevent or to end the suffering. He would want to do that, wouldn't Wouldn't God want to do that? I mean, you probably have heard your parents say at some point in time, if I could take your pain away, I would. Right? You'll probably say it to your kids when you have kids. I mean, it's just that's a natural thing. I, I mean, so if God is all loving, why doesn't he take away my pain? Why doesn't he take away my suffering? Okay, so 
Would you all agree that there's a tremendous amount of suffering in the world? Right? So there, so okay, there's a tremendous amount of suffering. Therefore, God either is not all loving or he's not all powerful. Or he doesn't exist. That would be the argument that they would have. Okay, so you're all believers in God. So how do you respond to this? How do you tell somebody, no, God does exist, God is all-loving, God is all-powerful, God is all-knowing, but He still allows suffering. How do we do that? What, how do we handle that? That's what we've got to do. The Bible actually uses many various forms of the word suffering. So first we've got to understand what He means by suffer in the Bible. This is, a, this is really a good Bible lesson. I mean, we're going to spend more time in the Bible probably in this than we have in a long time. So um, the Old Testament... The verses in the Old Testament, when you read the word suffer in the Old Testament, you kind of get the, 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 the idea of allowing or permitting, that God is allowing something to happen. So, okay, so anybody know the first rule of Bible study? Context. Context, okay. Second rule of Bible study, I don't know if it's the second one, I don't know. Um, another good rule is, is, the, is the law of first mention. When, a, when, a, when something is mentioned for the very first time. So go over to Genesis. If you've got your Bible, go to Genesis chapter 20, verse 6. I'm going to show you this. This is the very first time the word suffer uh, is or suffering or that type of word is used in the Bible. Genesis 20, verse 6. And God said, he's speaking to um, Abimelech, the, the king of uh, um, um let's see where's he at he's uh, he's in uh, in Shur in uh, Gerar and he he's there Abraham is there Sarah's there he he said to the king of Gerar he says uh, Abraham tells him that you know Sarah's his, his sister and so on but then he has this dream in verse 6. God is speaking to him and said in a dream, Yea, I know that thou did this in the integrity of thy heart, for I also withheld thee from sinning against me. Therefore suffered I not to touch her. Suffered I thee not to touch her. Okay, you see that word suffered there is the same word as permit. I suffered you not. I permitted you not to touch Sarah. That's what God is saying. So, so the suffering, when you look at the word suffer in the Bible the very first time, it has the idea of permitting or allowing something to happen. Or in this case, not allowing it to happen because he said suffer not. Another example is in Exodus chapter 22, verse 18. Look over at Exodus 22:18. Here he says, uh, as Moses is, is commanding the people, God is giving all of his commands. After he's given the Ten Commandments, he gives more commands. He says in, in verse, chapter 22, verse 18, Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. Alright, so what does that, that verse means is we will not permit, we will not allow a witch to live. Okay, so that's a command by God. Uh, so we have this concept of allowing or, or permitting when the word, when we see the word suffering. Now if you look over at the New Testament, it has a little bit of a different kind of a way to explain it. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 15. Matthew 3 verse 15 says this. Jesus answered and said unto him, Okay, so this is when Jesus was being baptized. Right, he's talking to John the Baptist down at the river. 
And Jesus walks up to John. John says, why are you coming to me? I should be baptized by you. And he says, no, it's okay. Just do it. And Jesus says in verse 15, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us all to fulfill all righteousness. Um, so there, again, it's a kind of an allowance, right? Suffer it. Allow it to happen. To, to, so, there's a, so the word suffer, has a, has a def, by definition, means to allow something to happen. And then a little bit differently, though, is in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. This is kind of the way we typically think of the word suffering. Because nobody ever thinks about suffering as permission, do we? When your parents allow you to go do something, you say, hey, Mom, can I go do? And she'll say, yeah, I'll suffer you. I'm, I permit you to do that. And now, we don't talk like that too much, very, very seldom. But we do talk like this in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. The Bible says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he would be he that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Um, and Paul, again in Romans chapter eight, verse eighteen, he says, I reckon the sufferings of this present time. Now there means pain. So we have a so we have the definition kind of like when we look at the way the word is used in the Bible, allowing pain, allowing uh, harm, allowing hurt. Okay, so that's how the word suffering is used here. So why then are there is there suffering? Why do we allow for suffering? Why does God allow for suffering? Um, I think everybody would kind of recognize that many times suffering in this world is is kind of unfair, isn't it? We kind of think typically it's unfair, uh, it's unjust, it's. Uh, Maybe because there's no apparent reason for why somebody is suffering. For example, why do children get leukemia? Nobody actually knows why people get, why children get leukemia. There's no answer for that. They just one day they're sick and then they got leukemia. But you know, so they're suffering, and we're like, well, that's really unfair. And do they get mad at God, or they say, well, God can't exist because He certainly wouldn't have let this poor little child get leukemia. Because that little child is going to suffer and die. That's painful. I mean, it's just thinking about it hurts. So people think, well, that's just unfair. That's why God can't exist. Or what about your your parents or your grandparents when they get Alzheimer's? And they don't know who you are. And all they can remember is things that happened 100 years ago. Because they're, you know, I mean, they're old. And that's all they remember is the old stuff. They don't remember who you are anymore. That's painful to watch. Watch that. Why is that? Is that nobody knows why they get Alzheimer's? Nobody knows why people are blind, or born blind, or born deaf, or you know why anybody? I mean, why do people get born, you know, born with genetic diseases? Nobody really knows. So these questions. Notice every one of these questions that I said. Why? Right. That's how we start the suffering question. Is why? There's why has a lot to do with it. It's a uh, why uh, uh, it's, it kind of impl- we're, we're looking for a valid reason for this happening. Why does somebody get leukemia? We want to know. We want a valid reason. If we could get a valid reason, we would be would we be okay with that? If if somebody could tell you, well, this is the reason that that child got leukemia, would you be? Oh, okay, fine. No, but that's kind of the implication. So this is how you start dealing with somebody who's challenging you about suffering. And they say, well, why does this happen? And why does that happen? And what happens with God? And why doesn't God do this when that happens? And say, well, well if he did, would that make you better? I mean, if, if, if God could tell you why this child was going was to suffer in a car accident or 
you know, be uh, uh, disabled and can't move, would that make you happy? I, that's what I would. That's where I would start with people. So truly, I think this is a weakness in the argument when somebody wants to challenge you about God. This is their weakest thing that they can. This is what they start with, but it's also the weakest thing that they start with is that, that they're going to argue this. And what I mean by that is if we're able to give them that valid reason, it really doesn't change the suffering. The kid's, the kid's still going to suffer. It doesn't Just because we have an answer to why they suffer doesn't mean anything. Um, so the atheists, they really have no answer for the reason either. So just because, even if you had an answer for why they're suffering, the atheists can't explain any, any better than you could. So they don't have a, they don't have an answer for it. All they actually have less than an answer. Richard Dawkins, I think I got this big long quote. It's really a long quote. He wrote a book, probably 20 years ago now, called the called uh, the River Out of Eden. Really interesting title, the River Out of Eden. And he says this. Um, let me back up here. Where did he go? I think I skipped a little section because I like this part right here. When we're talking about, let me back up a minute. Um, when we're defining suffering, um, it, it really is it's kind of an abstract, abstract or a, a, uh, a subjective kind of thing. So compare, we're talking about suffering, right? So compare this statement. I didn't get my new iPhone 6 or I just found out I have cancer or my son was killed in action. See, it, some people think they're suffering just because they didn't get a phone. Where some people think they're suffering, they literally are suffering because they have cancer now. So suffering, that's another reason why it's hard to have a conversation with people is because they suffer, suffering is subjective. You know, um, some people can't eat jalapenos and some people eat them by the jar, right? This, that, to me, that's suffering when I eat a jalapeno. Uh, so, uh, so here's some things. Uh, there's some common threads of suffering that we all experience. Um, Suffering manifests as a threat to the security of the sufferer. These aren't in your notes, but you may want to write them down because um, it's good to know about these things. Suffering includes uh, uh, physical, emotional, or mental discomfort. Uh, it leaves you weak. Suffering always weakens you. Um, you know how that is. You go to the hospital and you get sick because you're sick. When, you're, when While you're sick, you're just in a weakened state. That's why they're concerned about you all the time because when you're not Feeling well when you're suffering, it's easier to be uh, to come down with an illness. And suffering uh, destroys a part of you in some way. You're destroyed. Something is damaged. If it's physical, maybe your maybe a body part is now gone. If it's emotional, now you have this scar that you carry around for the rest of your life, and you're fearful of of snakes or you know whatever. Um, so so you have this issue going on all the time, and so. The Bible uses, and that's where we kind of skipped over this section, but then we talked about the examples of the Bible, uh, the verses that are there. Now I want to show you this quote that uh, Richard Dawkins, remember who he is? Anybody remember who he is? Is he a scientist? Yeah, he is a scientist. He's a biologist, actually. By No, that's Stephen Hawking. Richard Dawkins is the, is the biggest mouth for atheism in, in the in the world today, he is like the, the iconic atheist guy. He hates Christians. Yeah, he's still alive. Yeah, he's he runs around all over the place. He's always talking and talking all kinds of you know junk about God, and he's always wrong. So he says this. 
in his book, The River Out of Eden. The total, just, just think about what he says here. The total amount of suffering per year in the natural world is beyond all decent contemplation. During the minute that it takes me to compose this sentence, thousands of animals are being eaten alive, many others are running for their life, whimpering with fear, others are slowly being devoured from within by rasping parasites, thousands of all kinds are dying of starvation, thirst, and disease. It must be so. It's kind of a morbid thought, isn't it? That, I mean, do you ever think about, I mean, how many animals are being eaten alive right now in Africa? Yeah, but okay, so he says that's natural. That's the first paragraph that he says. It's natural. Then he says, if there ever was a time of plenty, this very fact will automatically lead to an increase in the population until the natural state of starvation and misery is restored. So there has to be a natural state of starvation and misery. He says it needs to be restored. In a universe of electrons and selfish genes, blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt. Other people are going to get lucky, and you won't find any rhyme or reason to it, nor any justice. And then he says, the universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if if there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. Okay, so he's basically saying, you suffer, well, you're just the unlucky one, you just suffer. You know, you could get eaten by a giraffe, well, they don't eat people, Uh, eaten by a lion... (laughs) You could eat by a lion, run over by a car, uh, have a parasite, eat your intestines out, and it's just natural. That's just the way, you know, you just got unlucky. Yeah, or you could get lucky and dodge it all. And that's just, to me, that's just a sad state of affairs um, to think that way. It's almost a fatalistic. You guys know what I mean by the word fatalistic? It means... uh, um, Lost the word I was looking for. Uh, has, a, has a tendency towards death. You just like, or, dis, or defeat. Or do, yeah, you know, like this feeling of doom. Oh, we're never going to win. Or, you know, uh, I'm on the worst football team in the world. We always lose. That's a fatalistic attitude. You just, you're just never going to win. Okay, so some believers, um, some believers present the case that free will is the answer, is the source or the answer to why there is suffering. Um, Free will isn't really the answer. The challenge to free will then is that could, could not God have made humans with the capacity to do evil but not the desire? Okay, so remember, evil is what causes suffering. Evil is the act. Suffering is the, is the result. So couldn't God have made people that had the capacity to do evil but then we'd not have the desire in our heart? Could he have done that? Yeah, he could have, he could have given you the ability to hit people in the head with a hammer but just... You didn't have a desire to hit people in the head with a hammer. He could have made you that way. Um, but in that, if that was the case, then that would be that God, even though he was all-knowing and all-powerful, he could, but he does not. Uh, and so then he is, then so we're saying that he's not an all-powerful God if he didn't do that. So, he, so um, thinking about, for example, trying to control you, that's really what that would be. God would be controlling you. So, like the example of Jesus Christ. Could God have made a man with the capacity but not the desire to sin? Yeah, he could have done that too. Um, uh, Jesus Christ was the only person that had the capacity not to sin and didn't have the desire to sin. So, 
the best place that I can see in the Bible to talk about suffering is the book of Job. So I want you to turn over to the book of Job for just a minute. In Job chapter 1. Okay, so just a real quick exam, um, thing about the book, of, uh, the story of Job. In, in this book, God allows a man to suffer at the hands of the adversary, the devil, um, and his world, his, his world just collapses all around him. It says in verse 15, um, if we read verse 15, 16, 17, and we'll go down from verse 15 to 19. And the Sabians fell upon them and took away, took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven and hath burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was just speaking, there came another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they were dead, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. So right in four, in four verses, boom, 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 he lost everything he owned. That's pretty that's a, that's a pretty graphic picture of suffering, right? He lost his property, he lost his children, he lost his health. During this time, from, throughout the entire book of Job, Job does not understand why these things happen to him. He doesn't know what happened. He doesn't understand why they happen. Uh, he has these three friends that come and they sit down with him and they try to figure out a reason for why, why he suffered and what happened with him. Uh, uh, they, they, they thought of maybe he was in terrible sin. Well, you're in sin, so God, God beat you up. No, that, that wasn't the case. Uh, they, they, didn't, they thought maybe that something was, something was evil in his own life, that God was trying to punish him. That wasn't the case. Um, he, just, he, he couldn't get the answer to why it happened until he got to the end of the book. And in the end, Job regained his faith. He regained his wealth. He regained his family. He regained so much more than he ever had at the beginning. But the question is, why did Job have to suffer? Why did his children have to die, and why were his riches stolen? That, that's, you know, that would be the child. Why did the, why did the earthquake come? Why did the people fly their planes into the building? Okay, so let's look at a couple of things here. Uh, the theme of the book of Job is a correction of misconceptions arising from man's imperfect knowledge of God. See, we don't understand God fully. None of us do. Uh, God is, we have his Bible, but we don't have every single thing about God. He has, there are some things that he keeps from us, literally keeps from us. A second theme of the book of Job is that the evidence there is a divine purpose regarding the sufferings of the godly and that life's bitterest valleys are reconcilable with God's divine purpose. The way I have to always keep in mind, when you're going through pain and suffering and anguish, it lines up exactly with what God is intending for your life. 
that's something that maybe we forget sometimes. Because what we do is we blame God when the bad times come and we, we thank ourselves when the good times come. We never blame Satan. And we never just say, well, I'm suffering and God has something good for it. There's something good going to come out of my suffering. We never think that. At the beginning of the book of Job, there's 12 verses. Because we, we actually started reading in verse 15. But we didn't read the first 15 verses, right? In the first 15 verses, everything is good. And then if you go to chapter 42, the last 11 verses, everything is good. In the middle of all of that is the question that Job wrestles with is why is he suffering? He's trying to figure it out. Now, he had three counselors and they don't have any idea what's what's going on. His wife actually told him in chapter 2, verse 9, his wife says to him, curse God and die. Because his wife had checked out on God. His wife had said, I lost my kids. I don't have any grandkids now. And I'm a poor woman. I hate God. That's really, she, you know, she said to curse God. She had already cursed God. And this is what happens with a lot of people that get, when something bad happens in their life, like a tornado rips their house apart, or their whole family is killed in a car accident, and they say, where was God when that happened? I hate God. This is what happens with a lot of people. And so this is why this is such a serious topic to talk about. See, his wife didn't know. His counselors didn't know. His best friends had no idea why he was suffering. They blamed him, actually. Job didn't understand what was happening. They didn't know what the first 12 verses had to say, and they didn't know what was coming in the last 11 verses of the book. What they had missed was uh, that there's an explanation for suffering, even when we are not privy to the explanation. What does that mean, privy? That means we are not provided with the answer. We are not privy to the explanation. There's always an explanation for suffering. We just don't always know what it is. That sounds like it's unfair, but, well, we don't know everything that God is doing. You don't even know what's going to happen to you tomorrow. You think you do, but you don't. So you're prom- you think you think sun's going to rise in the morning? Think you're going to go up and go to work or go to school? Or is it spring break? Maybe you don't go to work, go to school. Or, I don't know. But it, for those that, if it was a school day, you'd get up and go to school or you'd get up and go to work. you think that's what's going to happen when you lay your head down to go to sleep. What if you just never woke up? You know, what if a fire happened in the house and now you're gone? You don't know why they happen. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, so don't blame God. The explanation, the reason, the purpose was determined in heaven for Job's suffering. If you go back and read the first 15 verses of of Job chapter 1, you'll find out that there was a conversation that took place in heaven with God and and Satan. And God says, we're going to test Satan. I'm going to prove to you that Satan is a, is a man of integrity. This is what God is saying to the devil. Hmm? No, I'm, he's talking to Satan. Then He's saying, I'm going to prove that Job, sorry, is a man of integrity. Okay, secondly... Uh, the outcome, there is an outcome of blessing that, that, that was had at the conclusion. Job was blessed as he went through the, the suffering without rejecting God. And this is important for you and me. So you and I, we have the opportunity to read the first 12 verses and know the reason that things are going to happen to Job. And we can read the last 11 verses and know the blessing that, that Job was given because we can do that we can also know that the same thing happens to us. 
God has conversations about you in heaven, and God has blessings in store for you out of heaven. You just have to live a consistent life trusting and having faith in God. That's the problem. Most people lose faith in God when bad things happen. The story of Job for you and I is to know is that there is a reason even if we don't know what the reason is. There is a reason even if we can't know the reason. Why does somebody get cancer? We don't, know. we don't fully understand it. Maybe we'll never know until we get to heaven. But then we'll know. There are several things. There are some things that God cannot reveal to us. If he tried to reveal everything to us, our minds would explode, I think. Um, John chapter 16, verse 12. Jesus Christ said in John chapter 16, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Jesus Christ had a lot of stuff he wanted to tell his disciples and tell you and me. And we know that John wrote at the end of the book of God, uh, the Gospel of John that, that the things that Jesus did, he could fill the earth with the books describing all the things that Jesus had done just in his ministry. And we don't have access to all of that. So there's just so much that we could know, but we don't, we're not capable of knowing it yet. So the story of Job is also for you and I to comprehend the reality of our faith. If you didn't suffer, this might sound really bad. If you did not suffer sometimes, you would never have faith in God. Did you, I mean, just think about that. Why do you have faith in God? We talked about this before early on. Why do we have faith? We have faith because of... I actually used the term multiple times in the last several weeks. Evidential faith. Right? We have an evidential faith. What do I mean by evidential faith? We have evidence that God is working in our life because of what He's done in our past. Evidential faith. So, suffering provides evidence as God moves in your life to accomplish things. If He didn't move in your life, you'd never believe in God. You'd never have faith. Had Job really understood the explanation and the known why he was, he was suffering, if he knew what blessing was going to proceed, his faith would have vanished. Uh, I can't remember the verse right now. Um, uh, not, by, not by sight. How does that go? Not by sight. Something, yeah, that's, that's one verse. That's not the one I'm thinking about, but that'll work for right now. We walk by faith, not by sight. We, if we, we've, um, I think it's in Romans chapter 4. I'll have to look it up. Um, okay, but let me just go through these because we're almost out of time. Let me give you the value. Let me give you seven things. I think there's seven. Maybe, yeah, seven. Seven things. Uh, seven, seven things that are the value of suffering. Okay, number one, um, Suffering highlights the frailty of human beings. So while man generally thinks that they're the masters of their fate and the captains of their souls, suffering brings you back to the reality that you're frail. You get hurt really easily. Another explanation of of the reality of God, why is it that animals can live outdoors and they don't need to build houses and have gas you know, furnaces and air conditioning and stuff, they can live out there in the elements, and we can't because we're frail. Our bodies are frail. Uh, number two, suffering can draw one to God. It's natural to seek some level of higher source of help when we're suffering. You know what I mean? When you start to suffer, what's, where, what's the most logical place to go when you're suffering? The Bible. <clears throat> Someone by yourself. Well, the Bible is a good answer. 
Well, I was thinking about um, more, more of a fleshly kind of suffering, like, you know, you got the flu. Oh, medicine. You're going to go to the doctor, right? You're going to go to the doctor. Okay, so you're always going to go to some form of higher power to get help when you're suffering. Obviously, the Bible is, a, is the correct answer all the time, no matter what it is, you know, but eventually uh, you might need to see a doctor. You break a leg, got to go get it set. Okay, so um, it's natural to seek some higher form of, of help. Uh, so while we're hurting, the God of comfort is always, always waiting to help us. Second Corinthians chapter one verse three says, "Blessed be the God, blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us." Um, number three, suffering shows sin for what it really is. So whether the suffering came upon us from from others or from nature, it is the evident reality that sin is in the world. If it wasn't for sin, we wouldn't. I, don't, I personally believe, and I think the Bible bears it out, that if there was, if 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 Adam and Eve had never sinned, we would not have suffering today, because death is the evidence of of sin, and death is the highest form of suffering. It, thus, you're going to heaven then it's not really death, it's life. Without saving grace, eternal death due to sin is the reality that we all face. If you don't get saved and you die, uh, then you spend eternity separated from God. Nobody should perish without Christ, though, because they need to be presented uh, with the reality uh, of who Christ is. But sin and its curse upon all the earth, it's on everybody. The earth is cursed, man is cursed, everybody's cursed. Because of sin. And death is the end that Christ took on us. Uh, he, he took that on us. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 9. He says, we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. So he suffered death for us. Number four, suffering teaches us compassion for others. You don't hurt for people. You don't, you don't have a compassionate part of your body exposed if people aren't suffering. That might sound kind of weird, but it actually helps us learn how to love and care about other people when they're suffering and hurting. We want to help them. If nobody was suffering, nobody would care about each other. That sounds almost weird, but really, that's the real, that's, that's, that is how it works. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18 says, For in, he, in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is also able to secure them that are tempted. Uh, so that shows us that God, Christ himself has been subject to all that we have experienced. He's gone through everything that we've gone through. He suffered everything that we suffered. We learn sympathy, which means the word sympathy is the, simply the Greek word with feeling. That's all sympathy is, the Greek word that means with feeling. We learn to feel. Uh, sympathy is different than the word empathy, uh, which is also another word that means you kind of go along with. It means in feeling. So to have empathy is to get inside and share the pain of a friend, while to have sympathy is to simply have a tenderness for the sufferer. So there's a little bit, two different things there, right? So if you have a best friend that you just found out that that best friend has got some terminal disease, you, you kind of get inside them, you get with them, and you, you kind of feel their pain. That's empathy. But when you hear about you know, somebody that's got cancer, well, you can have sympathy for them and you can feel bad for them, but... but if suffering didn't happen, you would never have empathy for people. You would never have sympathy for people. That sounds strange, but suffering teaches us compassion. Number five, suffering enhances our prayer life. 
The biggest reason that we go to prayer is because somebody's suffering. Praying is the instinctive response to suffering. But effective prayer is a learned thing. You, you don't pray. You have to learn to pray. You've got you to gotta spend time in prayer. So uh, it's instinctive. When somebody's suffering, we, we, we want to pray. We say, well, I, just, I guess I, all I can do is pray. Yeah, well, that's all you can do? Then do it. Because that's the greatest thing we can do. Number six, suffering tempers your soul and helps prepare it for eternity. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7 says, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold, it perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto the praise and honor and glory of the appearing of Jesus Christ. We go through suffering so that we can understand what Jesus Christ went through so that when we see Him, when He, when he appears to us, when we see Him, we understand everything that He went through and we are prepared to, to worship and praise Him. We have to suffer. Thank goodness we don't have to suffer what He suffered. Uh, he took our sin on the cross and we don't have to worry about that. So just as precious metals are purified by heat, of fire, so trials of life in general and suffering of Christ in particular builds, build our strength. They build our soul. They make us spiritually and emotionally strong. Out of the fires of suffering, the human spirit emerges as a precious and as a golden uh, band of steel. I mean, it's just it's an incredible thing with, with, uh, when we think about suffering. Nobody wants to suffer, but these are the, these are the blessings that come from suffering. Number seven, Suffering nurtures the noblest virtues of what mankind is capable of. Okay, so think about the word courage for just a minute. It's natural to think that courage is one of the prime traits of humanity, and by way of contrast, and cowardice is a reprehensible thing, right? Nobody wants to be called a coward, do they? Nobody. Everybody wants to be called courageous. Courage, then, how do you define courage? This is a good way to think about it. It's the ability to act in face of fear. It's the ability to act. If, however, human family was immune to hardship, immune to danger, immune to suffering, if there was no suffering in the world, there would be never any facing it. There would be never any uh, courage, right? Why would you have courage if there's nothing to suffer? We, we can never be courageous. The Bible tells us, I don't think, I think, Three times, I think, at least in the New Testament alone, it says, be of good courage. How can you be of good courage if you don't, if you don't fear? And how do you fear if, you don't, if, there's, the potential, if there's no potential for suffering? Um, there are certain things that we cannot possess in our life in the absence of hardship. There's just no way. There's certain things, certain kinds of characteristics. So suffering, we, never, we don't always know the answer. We can't say, I know the reason but there is always a reason. There is always a reason, and God is aware of that reason. There's no incompatibility between an all-powerful and an all-loving God and the fact that there's suffering in the world. In fact, suffering demonstrates that God is at work because suffering says we need to be restored. We need that restoration. So we need to be saved if we're not saved, and we need to be restored back to God and, and be healed. Uh, suffering demonstrates how much God loves us. I think it's kind of accurate to say that suffering is the only identifiable. It's, it's only identifiable. You can only see suffering in the presence of God. 
Because otherwise, you're going to be like Richard Dawkins. Think, well, you didn't get lucky today. You got eaten by a leopard. By a leopard. I mean, sorry. Now, I probably wouldn't even say sorry. You know, because sorry indicates some empathy, right? <laughs> and I don't have any if, there, if suffering doesn't exist. Don't let the atheist throw you for a loop on evil or suffering. Neither one of them. Um, it, it, in fact, it's, it's, it validates the fact that God exists. Okay, so let's uh, let's pray. Uh, if you have any questions about anything or want to talk some more, we can. Next week we'll wrap up. We got two more weeks to, uh, left. We're going to talk about the the reality, the resurrection, and the royalty of Jesus Christ. So that's going to be good over the next two weeks. So let's pray, and then we'll be done. Father in heaven, Lord, we do love you, and we praise you for all that you give us. And even in times of difficulty, Father, we do want to praise you uh, for being in our life and for giving us. Uh, eternal life and we just pray father for everybody that is suffering father that you know what's going on in their life and we do pray father that you would be manifest that you would be uh, recognized and that you would be glorified even in that suffering we love you and we praise you in jesus name amen